Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 249, almost up to 250. Today's episode is not going to be for my normal, you know, anything dog people. This one is going to be oriented uh, unofficially, it's going to be oriented towards uh, judging in the American Pointing Lab Association. This is nothing official. This is just some dog trainer out in Colorado that's weighing in um, on uh, opinions on judging. And I want to do this because the organization is growing and expanding and things are changing and, and we, there's a lot of action. And I think there's a lot of confusion and we don't. We are working hard on finding a way to to normalize and to really spread some uniformity in how we all look at this and what we do. And so I'm going to, from my unique position, uh, going to just give my opinion. Again, this is nothing official. Even though I am president of the American Lab Association, that is not coming from that person. It's coming from the person who has been in more uh, uh, APLA uh, tests in Upland Fields than anybody else. I have somewhere between, it's close to 300 certified pointing retrievers, which seems kind of like no way. But yes, actually I have. Uh, I, I lost, I didn't, I stopped counting those a long time ago when it got up to a 200. So somewhere two to 300 certified pointing Labradors, 90 grandmasters, uh, 14 qualified all-age grandmasters, uh, one or two, uh, and then somewhere between 30, over 30, up to 40, somewhere around there on four times. So I've spent a lot of time running APLA tests for a long time. And I, because of, that's kind of a, a valuable position to be in when you're talking to people about judging and about setting up tests and all, all that kind of thing. So that's what I'm going to do. I, people love judging. Most people do. I mean, it's just being a judge is, I guess, a really cool thing. Um, I have never, I, I, I would much, much rather run a dog than I would uh, sit and judge all day long because when you judge, it's like being in school all day long. If you're going to do a good job, you have to pay attention the entire time, just the entire time. I, I used to judge uh, field trials because that's where I started. You know, I had done a lot of field trial work. Uh, Derby listed a number of dogs, number of qualified LH1 opens. I, I did a lot of that before I ever got into uh, the AKC hunt tests and the APLA. So I, and I judged there too, and that was so hard. Oh, I was like, I don't even want to do this. I would much rather be running my dogs on these tests than I would sitting here watching every moment of what's going on. And so for me, the judging is not like, I, it, I guess it means like you're cool and you get to sit in judgment and you're the all-knowing one or something like that. Oh, it's hard. It's just hard. I don't, it's not glamorous. It's not fun. It's much more fun to go, you know, get another purple ribbon or something uh, than that. So I don't know why people just, I guess it's because it's kind of a cool thing. Uh, it's not if you do it correctly. It's really very hard. So I just want to talk about my opinion of judging. And I come from um, a little bit about knowing about the rules and stuff. I was head of the rules committee for probably 10 years as we changed the rules from kind of lax and not real stringent to what they are now, which is a lot more clarified, yet still yet to be improved. 
and I've been on the board as a secretary when I, I, I of the board. I've been on the board for a lot of years of the APLA as well. I was, I was a secretary when we finally set up databases for all of our information instead of had it on pieces of paper stuff in somebody's you know office somewhere. And so I've been involved with so many changes over the years on this stuff. And I I want as as I go towards doing less and less in all of this world, I, I, I want to, I would like to impact people's uh, opinion of, of judging. We all know whether, whatever venue you run, whether it's AKC, HRC, or us, you know, you've had great experiences and you've had very poor experiences. You know, maybe you got failed when you shouldn't have, or maybe you got passed when you shouldn't have. I've had both of those. And maybe the test is kind of ridiculous and, you don't like it. And, you you know, we've all dealt with that kind of thing. But also, people, it's very hard to judge and make everybody happy. Not the purpose of judging. It's not to make everybody happy. But let's talk about, I want to talk about what the purpose of judging is. Because people have a, a wide array of opinions about what their goal is. So I'm speaking to people who either would like to become a judge or who are judge judging who are willing to hear somebody's opinion about about being a really good uh, judge. So whether we're talking about the certified level, the advanced level, or the master level, regardless of that, when you are going to go judge something, the first thing, if somebody came up to you, if I walked up to you, you're judging, I don't care what's stake. I don't care if you're super experienced or kind of kind of new with this. If I'm going I if I came up and said, "Tell me what it, what elements are you looking for in your test setup?" You know, what are you looking for? What are the elements that need to be present? You should be able to answer that. You should be able to say what elements at on the land series or the water series or in the upland, what are the elements that need to be present? What are you looking for? And how are you going to test those things? If you can't answer that question, you, you need to kind of back up and work out some things in your head because that's what we're all doing. If we're going on to the lower levels, you know, we're testing, will the dog willingly retrieve and bring the bird back to you? And can the dog do multiple marks with diversions? Um, can, you know, are they steady? There's a number of elements that are in there that you need to be aware of. Are they under control? Do they cooperate? Do they handle? Do they make progress to the blind retrieve that they did not see? So you need to, one, just know the elements that you are going to be setting up a test to evaluate. That's one thing. The next thing is, and I really wish I could get this across to people, it is, this is not anyone's opportunity. This is particularly for the higher levels. This is not someone's opportunity to try and improve the organization or upgrade the tests or make whatever changes somebody feels are necessary. You can have all the opinions you want about the standards of the APLA, but regardless of what those are, this is not your opportunity to impact those and make changes. If you want to do that, then go about it officially. But you, anyone judging, is required, it is mandatory, that you judge to the standards of the American Pointing Lab Association. Not to AKC as standards, not to HRC, not 
It's none of those things. So you have to understand clearly what the standards of the APLA are. And if you can't say what that is, again, then you're not quite ready because it's a very different thing. So in, in, in the APLA, we are a hunting, they are, I'm trying to, they are a hunting organization. They are not a testing organization. They have not evolved over the years to become uh, you know, what, what the other organizations are, which are pro-based, super trained, super trick, super, it's cooler than heck. You know, I run the, I don't run HRC, I've never done that. But AKC, I've run everything over there, you know, and you better have all the bells and whistles and stuff and a lot of practice on it. We, and even though the hunt tests call themselves hunt tests, HRC is far more realistic, I think. Um, but that's not a judgment, just the way it is. If, you know, AKC, you better have some really, you know, trick training stuff going. It's the same with HRC. But on APLA, we still remain a hunting organization. So, and this is another very important thing. So we are not here to test the sophistication of the training. We are here to test the hunting ability of the dog. So, and this is so, so important. I say this in every seminar I give at, in the judges handler seminars. We are not testing training. So you actually have to be a knowledgeable person to be able to set up a double with a diversion and a, and a blind with it. You have to be able to set that up in a way that's testing the dog's marking ability, the dog's handling ability, the dog's ability to deal with perhaps a difficult situation and where, but not, okay, has, have they practiced, uh, have they practiced shoreline blinds? Have they practiced multiple in and outs, angle entries over the point, past the this or that? We are not there to test that. Now, you may have a dog that does all of that stuff. You may train that way. I trained every single grandmaster four time I ever did was trained to go run an AKC Master Hunter because I was a professional trainer and that's what I do. But I do not set those tests up for people because we are a hunting organization and you have to be able to know the difference between whether you're testing someone's training or whether you are testing uh, the dog, how would the dog function in a hunting scenario. Does that mean that we set up real easy tests? No. But that means that if you have a blind, you're setting up a water blind, it's not 14 inches off the shore, 70 yards down there, and they better stay in the water the whole way. All right. One, if you are hunting, if you were actually hunting and, you're, and it landed 14 inches off the shore, the dog would run down the land, go pick it up and run back. So in other words, don't set that up. Set something up where it's, it's, the dog does have to get in the water. The dog does have to remain in the water. Maybe they have to get out and get back in again, which is all realistic, but not something that's very technical that you have to have technical training ponds to be on. You have to have done all that. This organization, potential or existing judges, is, is here, to, here to be a place where the, the regular guy, the amateur, the weekend warrior trainer, if they have a good dog and if they work diligently and understand the elements for which they're training, that they can go past the test. We have, I have fought since I've been in this, and most people have been right there with me, in not turning this into a pro organization where unless you are a, 
have your dog with a pro or are a pro so and you train all day every day and you have the technical pawns and all the stuff that you need unless you have that you'll never pass that pretty much is most of the organi other organizations and when we have fought hard to keep this where you don't have to be a pro to pass you have to have a good dog and they have to be well trained but you don't have to be just all tricked out and judges need to remain aware of that when they're setting up tests but they need to be aware of the difference so many people when they finally you know they fight they got their first or second dog and it, you know they've run in the the finished and they've run the master you know and then they come over to the apla and they're going okay we need to upgrade this too one of the biggest mistakes all judges make when they've had some success with their own dog is to get everybody to upgrade to whatever level they are i have seen that a hundred times if i've seen it once now i'm glad your dog is a master national finisher i'm glad all that stuff that is not what we are about and I'll say, having run all those other things, including everything in field trials, that on a given day to go run a, a challenging double with a blind on land and on water with a diversion, and then go out in that upland field, particularly when you're towards the end of the group, right? There's all kind of birds out there. <laughs> and it's dicey, and your dog has to be steady on every bird. They have to point. They have to you know, be steady to wing its shot. They can't chase. That is not an easy thing to do. So all those people that want to get things upgraded and make things harder because, you know, I can do it and everyone else should be able to do it too. When you add that upland field element to it, um, that, is, that is a really substantial thing. And, and then we're going to talk about judging in the upland field. But when you put that all together, that is hard. That is one of the reasons master judges who want to prove how how crafty and clever you are we're not here to 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 see if we can retrieve them out of this we want to make sure can they do a challenging double do they handle well are they under control are they cooperative do they mark are they a team player in this stuff are there somebody you'd take waterfowl hunting and then can we go over into that upland field and basically have perfection I mean, you can't grab a bird, you can't chase a bird, you can't do any of that stuff. You got to go have, that's a lot. That has to be kept in mind, at, at advanced level, but particularly at master level. We're not trying to prove how, how much we know and how we can set up tricky, tricky stuff. So, yeah, can you have a, a blind under the arc and stuff? Sure, you can have that if it serves some useful purpose. But if it's just your way of trying to maybe eliminate some dogs in the land series or the water series, that's not the point of this thing. It's just not. And if you have a bunch, a bunch of dogs, let's say you have a 30-dog a master. If you have that, that doesn't mean, okay, we got to make the test really hard. It may mean you have to split the fields. But we have to hold our standard that we're not sitting here trying to get only well-professionally trained dogs through this because that's not what this organization even though we do have some very good pros in it that participate a lot it's still a hunting organization and it's still for regular people with really good dogs i really want that point to be made now let's talk about the literal judging there's a number of points and i can't let this go too too long but i'm going to take whatever this is important it there's several things that we one when you're judging okay when you're judging make sure you know the rules <laughs> now that's kind of insulting right what do you mean, make sure? Of course I know the rules. 
I, I, I question that because in almost every test I've been in in the last number of years, uh, even at the Triple Crown, we have had judges go, what? I didn't know that was in the rules. I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. So it's important to know the rules and not only know them, but not know them under your own interpretation, but know them under the interpretation of the APLA. For example, uh, intimidation of a dog. People have their own ideas about what is intimidation and what it's not. And the APLA does have an interpretation of what intimidation is. You know, in HRC, you can yell and say no at your dog. In AKC and APLA, you cannot. And if you do, that is correction and intimidation, okay? Regar regardless of your opinion or how you train or what you do. So you need, before you judge, to understand what the APLA's interpretation of the rules is on controlled breaks, on intimidation, on cooperation, all of that, all of that. You need to understand, you need to represent and judge by the standards of the organization, not yours or your experience or what your training group does. And that has become a problem lately where people just train in a certain area and in a certain group and they do it a certain way and then they come to the APLA test and somebody tells them, hey, you can't scream at your dog. Well, I, oh, that's how I train. Well, okay, you still can't scream at your dog. So judges need to be aware of that. A lot of things like that. So when you judge, when you judge, if you're giving the seminar, then you need to make sure there's a lot of things you've got to get across. When you judge, one of the wisest things to do, I have found, both as a handler and a judge, is when in the morning, you know, when you've got a setup there and you're ready to get things going and you've got a test dog ready and all that at, at all levels, including especially where the new people are, which tends to be a little bit more certified, but anymore, not always. That is where as a judge, you prevent the majority of problems that you might encounter the rest of the day. The majority of the confusion, the angry contestant, the somebody I nobody ever told me that stuff. At the beginning, as a judge, take that time, and I call it, when I'm judging, my problem prevention time. And that's when you sit there and go, okay, here's what we're doing today. This, we got this. Dogs need to be, for the certified, you tell them, okay, you can have a slip lead around their neck, no flat collars. You tell them that stuff. You tell people that they cannot touch their dog. You tell them that they cannot, you tell them what intimidation is. I would tell that to everybody. Cannot correct, cannot yell and scream, cannot thump them, cannot, <laughs> none of that kind of stuff. Tell them, you know, what study is. Tell them what uh, a controlled break is. And, you know, you're only allowed one here and one there. Tell everybody that stuff. Tell them what your expectations are. Tell them um, what your definitions of things are. Make sure people understand what the rules are. Dogs are under judgment from the holding blind to the line. Tell them that so that they know. On the, on the master level, folks, the judge's discretion on where the leash is on and off. Tell them what that is. All right. You cannot have training equipment hanging around your neck, in your hand, dangling out of your pockets. You know, people just do that because when they train, they have their stuff right there. They, they forget sometimes in a test that you can't do that. 
So make sure they know that. Now, when you are judging, and there's all these little rules, you can't do this, you can't wear a white shirt, you know, sit in a field trial, there's certain, you tell people that, because there's always somebody standing in the gallery with a, with a beautiful white shirt on. And you got to tell them, one, no, you're going to draw the dog's attention when they're handling, standing in the gallery. Um, tell your handlers if anybody's dressed inappropriately before they run. Problem prevention, get it all ironed out. The, the judges are in control of where the gallery is seated and the gallery's behavior. So have the gallery one where they do not interfere at all with the dog going from the holding blind to the line and back, that they don't, they're not standing behind. So if somebody gets up and waves somebody over, they mess up somebody handling, obvious stuff. But it, it seems obvious, but a lot of people don't think of it. They can't be making noise and causing any kind of a problem. So judges, put the gallery where they need to be. Tell them that they need to be. Tell them whatever you need to tell them. And if you're lucky enough to have a marshal, have your marshal enforce that stuff. But judges have to control that because you are just to test the dog and the handler. And you have to provide the circumstances to make that be as fair as possible. So take control of that. I'm going to make another comment because something happened recently that, that we had to deal with. The gallery cannot weigh in on the setup. I don't care if it's your best buddy, your training buddy, your dad, <laughs> your, your wife, your spouse. I don't care what it is. Gallery cannot weigh in on the setup. If they don't like it or something else, that's fine. If somebody in the gallery sees that they have a blind planted on, on a bird nest, all right, then go to the marshal or some official of the test and say, would you tell the judges that where they have the blind right there, I believe that's a goose nest, right? If you need to get something that's actually important over, then go through channels. But don't stand behind. The gallery can't stand behind there yelling and screaming. As a judge, take control of that situation. You're not there to make the gallery happy. You are there to set up the most fair consistent circumstances to test the elements of which you are completely aware on that day. Now, when you're judging at any level, as a judge, you have to pay attention the entire time to the handler and the dog. The entire time. Now, this is a part of judging that I find hard. All day, all day, first series, second series, you got to pay attention the entire time. Um, and catch things if somebody's got their choke chain hanging out of their front pocket of their pants you got to notice and tell them otherwise you know you got the guy he's got you screaming and yelling stuff like that you have to notice everything before it happens that's your responsibility if a handler's making a mistake and you can in terms of following the rules not their handling or any of that kind of thing right it's your job to catch stuff it's your job to catch it in the upland field. If somebody isn't wearing orange and the rules are that they have to have a certain amount of orange on there, as a judge, that's your responsibility. If there's, if you notice anything unsafe going on as a judge, take the time to address the situation. If somebody is, and okay, now I'm gonna revert back to we're at the APLA, not something else. If somebody who's fairly new is making a mistake, let's say they're reaching over and booting their dog over to get them to the left or something, all right, the rules say you can't touch your dog. Now, we are a hunting organization, and we are not about all pros. Now, at this Triple Crown, 
yeah, all the rules apply, <laughs> right? You can't be moving your dog over with your leg. You can't be dangling your training equipment out of your pocket. And everybody there needs to know all that kind of stuff. But when you have some new people, all right, I'm just going to say, person, this is not an official word at all. If somebody's just had a habit, kind of used to moving their dog with their leg, I'm going to give them one chance, right? And say, all right, you cannot touch your dog. So I'm warning you, I'm telling you, you did that right there. If you do that repeatedly, that could be a, a dropping. So make sure that you give the new people and the kind of little things like that at least a chance. Give them a chance. Don't give them a chance if the dog didn't mark and handled on every bird. No, we don't. That's not a chance. People have to meet the criteria of the test. But do what you can to uh, new people or somebody making a, a rookie mistake or something. Again, we're not here to just lynch everybody on that stuff. So if you can, approach it with that approach. Okay, now I'm going to get into a little bit of technical stuff. And I'm going to bet that there will be some people who, if they listen to this, will not agree with me. And I, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it anyway. So when one of the most dangerous judges that we have is somebody that's had success with their dog somewhere else. Or they train with uh, a more, more tricked out training group. Um, and so then that becomes their standard. And they, they have a difficulty differentiating between people training to go run amateurs and opens or qualifying and people that are in our hunting organization. But what I see, uh, what I see very frequently is people judging things that I don't think are judgeable. And it's very hard to put this in writing. But when you are judging, when you are judging, you are, we are not to judge in the APLA, the handler. It, it, you know, many times we often want to. It's like, wow, well, <laughs> they just screwed that all up. And the dog is good and they made a mistake. We, you know, we can't help that. But we are not to judge the handler. In other words, when let's say when a dog is running a blind, okay, you don't look at what hand they throw up and then what, what direction the dog goes. Believe it or not, I know there's people going, what? That doesn't make sense. The definition of what we are looking for in the APLA on blind retrieves is progress toward the blind. That is what we're judging. We are not judging which hand flings up and which direction the dog turns. That is not what we're judging. We are judging progress to the blind. That's why when on the judges sheet, when you write that down, you've got your little line and it goes. Now, if your little line marking where the dog is going on the blind, and it goes constantly further and further and further away from the blind, okay, that's not good. When you are not making progress to the blind, in the direction of the blind, then we're not having a real good blind. Doesn't mean you fail necessarily. But you don't judge which hand goes up, and you don't judge uh, which direction the dog turns. You're judging progress to the blind. In our organization, we do not have a two-foot window in which the dog must stay. We've had a number of judges that have done that in the past. You know, if you're right of the bush, you're out. If you're left of the brick, you're out. And it's like, well, that's not, no. If you are hunting, you're not really worried about the bush. You're worried about getting to that bird. You know, maybe it's still alive and you got to get the dog to it. We're worried about making good progress to the blind. So you have to be a really kind of a good judge to be able to differentiate. We aren't going to count, okay, this is going to get everybody, 
You don't sit there and count cast refusals because what you view as a cast refusal to that dog and handler may not be a cast refusal. So don't count cast refusals and little technical things. Count the progress to the blind. If they don't make it, if they get way off and then finally the dog is downwind 50 yards and goes over, all right, we were not making progress to the blind, saved by the wind. If they are working hard and they get 20 feet downwind of the blind and they get it over, that's probably going to be okay, depending, just depending on a lot of things. But this little people counting cast refusals, you know, and they, all that kind of stuff, I have never done that. I have never done that. Um, is my dog making good progress to the blind? That's, and you, you know, you got to be somewhat knowledgeable to be able to differentiate between progress to the blind and not. So those little things that you would do if you're judging the, you know, in the field trial, you count cast refusals, you know, they cast them to the left and you went to the right. Yes, there's where you do that. Over where we are, I'm not saying a big old sloppy blind. No sloppy blinds. But is the dog making good progress to the blind? Maybe he wound up out there 15 or 20 feet to the side. Depending on, it's a 90-yard blind, I'm good. That's really good. I don't care how which direction he turned. I just care. They might train differently uh, than you do or that you're used to. So, approaching it a, a little bit more like that. We are not judging what the handler ju does. We are judging the dog. And that is everywhere. So regardless of how you feel about how the handler is handling the dog on a set of marks, say you got a double, right? And this is a marking test. And the dog is on a marking test to make a diligent effort in the direction of the bird. So if they run all the way around the lake on the water thing to get it and all the way back, assuming you set up a, a, a reasonable test, not one that just invited that, all right, if they did that, that was not a diligent and good effort, even though the marking might have been pretty good. If you set up, I've watched this so many times, people set up, it's a tech, there's tech, testing training. Will this dog take a little short angle entry and go along this little piece of water and get in another little piece and then get to the, you know, it, it, and then, so when they set that up, and then the dog runs, marks really well, and just goes a little, a few feet over and goes around everything and back, that's good marking. That's really good marking. So do you fail them? Because are we testing training or are we testing marking? So when you set up water tests, set up tests where, uh, where the dog needs to be able to, it needs to get in the water. In other words, don't have it three feet off the shore, 80 yards out there. <laughs> don't do that because, you know, the average trained dog is going to, you know, some of the, a lot of those dogs really have never been put through a water force. So they don't even know. It's like, I see it. I'll go get it. So instead of failing people because they are inadequately trained, fail them because, because they just didn't make a good diligent effort when it was obvious to get in the water and swim over there and then maybe get in that last little piece, if that makes sense. Don't, again, are we testing training or are we testing marking? So you got to be a pretty good judge to take what you've got and set up a marking test. And yeah, don't, they can't run all the way around the lake to go get the water, but don't set up one where that's the easiest thing to do, you know, at this level. And the master hunter, just do whatever you want. You know what? Put a one foot off the shore all the way. You better be trained that way. Not where we are. So you have to be a pretty good judge and understand the difference between technical training and good marking 
to set up this stuff. You can't judge somebody because on the double, you know, it was a good double set up and they had the dog pointed wrong. And, you know, it doesn't matter where they have the dog pointed. It doesn't matter what they do. We're not judging the handler. We are judging marking and we are judging cooperation and we are judging the control and the handling. That's what we're judging. So if somebody kind of makes a boo-boo, we don't judge the boo-boo. It's like, okay, still, although it could have been handled better, did the dog mark well or not? Now, cooperation is an element in the APLA that is actually pretty important. Our tests are not, should not be super killer hard. They can be very challenging and very difficult. They shouldn't be just, you know, master national last series kind of stuff. One of the elements that is important that we're looking for is that the dog reasonably work with the handler. If the handler has to tell them heal 40 times coming, you know, at, on the line, that's a little bit of a downgrade. Um, because now we're wasting a lot of time. You know, the birds are down, stuff's happening. And if you're hunting and you're spending, you know, 30 seconds over there trying to do something with your dog, that's a dog that's not being very cooperative. So coming out, coming out of the holding blind, you know, and we've all had the crazy dogs that you're just praying when you come out of there. I know that. But at, at the upper level, you know, you're judging them coming out of the holding blind. Are they kind of with the handler? Are things good? Now, on a blind, instead of counting cast refusals, you can look at that from the aspect of cooperation. The person is trying to get the dog moving to the left, and the dog just isn't going to do it. So you don't really count cast refusal so much as you, you're going to be able to ding. Your blind score won't be very good, but it'll be on virtual lack of cooperation. Okay, not some technical training thing. Um, so cooperation is important. It's important on blinds. It's important on the line, on marks. It's important on coming and going, and it's, it's also reasonably important in the upland field. A little harder to manage, but a little easier. So instead of the little technical ding, ding, dings, you know, that's where your cooperation score is going to come in. And it's important that handlers know that as well. If you're handling at these levels and your dog is not cooperating with you and you continue to, <laughs> to nag it at whatever it is, um, you are continuously demonstrating the dog's lack of cooperation. Be very careful about that. Just be aware because a good judge should be sitting back there instead of counting cast refusals. They are sitting there going, the dog is not being very cooperative with this person. Those are more of the kind of things that we are looking at. So it's important that you see what's happening as the dog comes out of the holding blind to the line. Is the handler, is everything cool with the handler? Is everything cool with the dog? If it's not, you know, address it before it becomes a problem. And occasionally we've had a few of those things and people cannot have training stuff. They cannot walk out with their leash swinging uh, on any of this stuff. And then make sure that when, and, and you know, another thing we got to be a little bit careful of, if I noticed is, you know, bird handling does have to be good. The bird handling has to be good. The dog can't damage the bird, and the bird needs to come back to the handler, not played around with before it's spent at the master level. A little bit lower, more at the lower levels, we have a little more leeway on stuff because their dog's in a process. At the master level, your bird handling needs to be good. 
And if it's not, get it good before as a handler, you come there. But judges, don't sit there and, you know, make a big deal out of that. But be aware, you know, and you can make a comment to somebody, you know, if their dog is kind of pushing the limits on that, say, you know, I need to be careful next series. We can't have that bird set down 14 times on the way coming back here. So that's another important thing. But the cooperation is more where you get that instead of, you know, I don't want somebody telling me I had five cast refusals on that lineup, you know, when they're judging. It's like, let me see your piece of paper. You know, well, how did this look? Were they going there? Were they cooperating or were they not? That's a very, very important part. Set up fair tests. Do not set up tests that test training, but set up tests that test marking. And if you don't know how to do that, then make sure you're judging with somebody who does and learn as much as possible. You don't really learn that judging, though, where you learn about setting up marking tests is by training your dog. So the more a person has trained a dog, in my opinion, the more chance they have of being a good judge. So there we go. Let, now I'm going to move to the upland field because we've been going on for a little bit here. Judging in the upland field. This is where people have some very interesting ideas and interpretations of uh, what the rules are. And again, this is just my opinion. Having done this quite a bit, okay, I'm just going to give my opinion. There are, to, it's, particularly those of you that want to either judge the Triple Crown someday or you want to run the Triple Crown. That's way more fun, way more fun. Just go run the Triple Crown, okay? But, but I'm still going to, the Upland Field is where we set ourselves apart from every organization. Everybody that wants to make, you know, our tests harder and more like this or more like that, just go to the Triple Crown. You, you'll get all of that there you want. <laughs> there we get the triples and the double blinds and the honors and all that stuff, right? Um, so just get there and you can, we're, we're upgrading a little bit. But what sets us apart from all the other testing organizations is that we do the retriever stuff and then we come over and we do the upland stuff. And at the master level, it needs to be basically really good, <laughs> 100% all the time. In, and there's, a, there, we have, there's currently a little bit of a disagreement in the APLA judging uh, for bunch on the certified. Now it takes two instead of one, two certifieds to, to become a certified pointing retriever. And there's debate about, well, if a dog points at least one bird and the other two aren't so good, you know, some judges say they should pass. Um, we're going to, I think we've got to get some consensus on that. Uh, but we, no, we're not trying to weed dogs out. I, I would rather go on the generous side than the not generous side because one, they got to pay that, they got to pass it twice. And if they're going to mess up, they're going to mess up, usually if you give them two shots at it. So we need to look at that, whether it's, you know, you need to point at least two, if not all three of them out there. That one we're going to work out. I just think I want people coming back. I want people to have success. They have to really point. All right, they have to really point. But anyway, we're going to get that one worked out a little more. I, I tend to be a little more forgiving because I... You know, I just remember getting some certified dogs with one point, thank goodness, that later went on to become four times. So anyhow, so you do have to at least get one very good point in there. You can catch birds and chase birds, but you don't want to have it be a lot of bird chasing and catching and then one inadvertent point because they're tired or the bird, they couldn't get to it or something. 
but so you do have to be legitimate over there but i ask judges to be aware that this is very often new people and very often crazy young dogs and we want people to keep coming back now in the advanced level now we're man we're in a transition so they have to point for a longer period of time um and I, i've noticed that some people count 10 seconds is really more like six and others 10 seconds is more like 14. um <laughs> so but and in the advance i guess that's a kind of a factor i in the master i don't give a flip how fast you count because they got to stay pointed period but in the master you know just make sure you're fair uh and in the same with everybody don't get your training buddies out there and he gets a six second 10 second count and somebody that you can't stand gets the 14 make sure you're always always fair and consistent that's hard to be you know when you have personal opinions about people but you can, it doesn't matter you're the judge and so you've got to be really really fair over in the master field there are some interesting ideas in judging people just like they do on marks and blinds i think there should be a walk-up i think there should be a blind tight to this this and that you know and they have what they think should be and and i personally disagree with this i what i like to do i'll just say this when i go to a grounds and they go here you are i kind of let the grounds tell me hey this would be a great place for the memory bird this would be good for this i kind of let the grounds say what the test would be i don't any judge that says they're going someplace and they want this i want a hip pocket with a under the arc you know and it's like well you might be somewhere where the grounds don't really facilitate that very much but by golly they're good that's not a very good judge you should take advantage of of the uh, setup the grounds that you have the cover the terrain the lighting all the stuff and then take advantage of that if you know what marking is and how to set up and do bird placement use that do not try to be tricky or clever N anybody running a dog does need not need or want that we are testing marking and stuff now for those who get through the retriever stuff soundly going over to the upland field Okay, there are categories on there on the upland field cooperation is a part of it search point all the all the things make sure you use those and you understand those because what we want is a dog that goes out in the upland field cooperatively with the handler without in, in caution caution to handlers if you're out there barely hanging on for dear life, blowing the whistle, yelling, talking, screaming, doing all this stuff, you are consistently demonstrating your dog's lack of cooperation. So just be aware of that. <laughs> be aware of that. Maybe you have to do that. If you do, maybe you ought to do a little bit more training. But be careful. Lots of noise and lots of whistles and lots of screaming and stuff is, means your dog is not paying attention to you. And as you continuously demonstrate that, your score continuously begins to lower. So that's important. Judges, we have a right to do that. I mean, if their dog is just paying no attention, it's out of bounds, and it's over there, right? that's not what we're looking for at the master level. That's not an automatic fail. But that is a lowering of score in the cooperation department. So you've got the search part, right? That means, is this dog out there looking for this stuff? Every now and then you run into the dog that's kind of walking along with everybody. Right? it tells you a little bit about the training stuff we're not judging people's training but if the dog is not actively out there looking for upland birds then your search score can be is not very good and is that failable yes it is but it, yeah you know be fair 
Maybe the dog, you know, has to warm up a little bit. But in any case, that's something that you have to have. The point. The point has to have some intensity in it. That doesn't mean that they have to, you know, be one of those tripod tail up in the air, nose down. It, it doesn't have to. That's nice. That's just really nice. We do not have style points, and I suspect we never will because labs are not English pointers. Some look like it, and some have this just four-legged just freeze that is also very intense. So you have to know what you are looking at to be able to judge that, which is why if you don't, Go learn that before you come back and judge. But there has to be some level of intensity at the point. Now, they may, after a little while, turn a head over, start a tail wag and stuff. Some just do that. Some it's a result of training. It doesn't matter. It's not for you to figure that out. But the point has to show clear intensity and it be established without any, any input from the handler. And the handler cannot cue them. Can, nothing. They, the dog has to do that on its own. Once, it's that, once that's happened, then the handler can steady him or do whatever they want. Now, I will say, people, if you have to woe your dog 57 times, I am concerned about the cooperation. Now, if the dog's not really doing anything, then, then it's just annoying to the us. <laughs> but, but if you're having to continuously prevent your dog from moving because he's going to go, okay, just be a little bit careful about that. Just any constant repetition of a command generally demonstrates a lack of control. Uh, and so the cooperation may or not be affected on that. Just be aware of that. So anyway, the, you do not, you can't tell the uh, judges, you can't tell the handler what to do, you can't tell the handler where to hunt, you can't tell the handler where the birds are, you know, I, it, they need like, well, I don't even, where, did you see the bird? Like, yeah, I think it's over there in that green stuff or something, I mean, but you can't really help these guys, um, and sometimes when they're new, it, it's just really scary, so what you can do in terms of helping them is say stuff like, it's your call. You know, we can keep looking for the bird, or you can do whatever you want. Pull off, just send whatever you want. You can let them know that kind of thing, but you can't direct them and tell them what to do. I understand one time somebody's dog had been, had pointed and gotten the retrieve and was sent on the retrieve, and on the way to the retrieve went on point of another live bird and was told to pull the dog off the point. Judges do not tell the handlers what to do unless it's a safety situation. Um, so that, it's that handler's option to do whatever they think is best for that situation. So be aware of how much input uh, you can have. The other thing I want to tell judges, which I continuously see to be a problem, when you're out, you're judging in a, I don't, any field, certified advanced master, when you're judging in a field like that, do not spread out and cover a bunch of ground wide behind the handler. Particularly if when a, a field starts to have retained birds in it, as number of dogs go through there, and you're gonna flush up a bird. And you might flush up the one bird that guy really needed to get past. So judges need to stay behind where, and the, the gunner needs to stay right with the handler so they are ready for any situation. And then the judges need to be basically in that same track if at all possible so that you are not disturbing any birds that are out there. 
There is nothing worse than watching the judges and the gunners, you know, flush up birds that you need to pass this upland field. So be aware that you're there not to in any, and you don't, you can't stand in a position, cannot stand somewhere in a field, and then watch. You become a safety hazard because birds are flying up and we're taking shots. You need, all the judges need to be together and they need to be behind the handler and they need to be out of the scenario when birds fly up to be shot. Um, and you need to be there to see not only the dog hunt, not be flushing up birds, but also when the dog goes on point, you, you need to be there, one, to make sure that you tell them when it's time and when, however they're going to handle the flush of, that, of the bird. But you need to make sure that everything's kosher. You know, that the dog, nobody's standing in front of the dog. Nobody's preventing any kind of deals. That doesn't happen very much anymore, but it does sometimes. I'm always right up there to just to make sure what all the interactions are between the handler and the dog and the gunner and all that stuff. Now I'm going to talk about controlled break because this seems to, see, I'm going to talk about intimidation, but I'm going to talk about controlled break. I don't understand how there is any uh, debate about this. I don't, and I've, you know, I've had people say I had a controlled break when I wasn't <laughs> and, and just a lot of interesting things so I'm going to talk about what a controlled break is just out of being on the rules committee and a lot of time in the field a controlled break uh, one a controlled break online if you're running marks is when the dog is initiating a retrieve on their own and they are stopped as they are initiating the retrieve not when they initiate the retrieve have made good progress and are called back that is not a controlled break when the the dog is initiating the retrieve and they are stopped then that is a controlled break if they're out there and they've already shifted into third and now you get them back that was not a controlled break same thing in the upland field when a dog in this now once the bird is flushed and shot the dog has to wait to be released from the judges if the dog initiates a retrieve and has to be stopped, that is a controlled break. And again, that doesn't mean they get out there 40 feet and you finally can reel them back. That is not. That is a, that is a, a break that was uncontrolled for a bit. Okay, so a handler, that's a, that's a thing to handlers. Handlers, if your dog is going to go before you send it, stop it. But reeling it back in after 50 feet was not a control. Now, here's what I've seen a number of judges say. Uh, judges I was judging with. If somebody blows their whistle, you know, the bird is flushed and shot, and they blow their whistle, they're calling that a control break. In the APLA, at any point, other than as the dog is initiating point, that's the only place you can't talk until the point is established, then you can. At any other point, you may speak to your dog, whether it's with a whistle or whether it's verbally. So if somebody is telling their dog to remain seated and the dog has not yet initiated a break, if they're, a, 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 you know, a retrieve, that is not a control break. A whistle or a sit does not define a control break. An attempted break defines a control that is control defines a controlled break they have to initiate a retrieve un without being sent for it to be a, a controlled break 
So if somebody blows, somebody told me one time, if somebody blows a whistle more than once, that's a control break. And I don't know how that would work, but a control break is only if the dog initiates it and is stopped. If they blow their whistle five times, all right, um, and the dog didn't break, then the dog didn't break. So that's the control break thing. And there's not a magic distance. Everybody, well, how far can they get? <laughs> well, now, as a handler, I'm telling you, they're not going to get very far. I'm not going to let them go. As, I, the, as a handler, I'm staring at my dog the entire time. So as soon as they tell me, oh, I got to go, I'm on it, man. Now, I know that's a control break, but I control it. But if they get out there way halfway there, all right, you, had no, you did not control the dog. So that is the deal on a control break. And that really is. And I'm going to talk about intimidation too. Because it's gotten way better. We were having some issues for a while. Intimidation, okay, in, in as far as I'm concerned in all of this stuff. Intimidation is when you do something in, in the direction or involving your dog that changes their behavior fairly uh, strongly. If you yell at your dog, no, or something like that. Okay, no is a correction. Corrections are not allowed, right? You cannot correct your dog. You cannot do any training of your dog. If you do, then you're out. And you can just go ahead and handle them all the way or do whatever you want, but you're out. So intimidation is when you do something, whether it's yelling, whether it's standing over them, whether it's standing in front of them and preventing the behavior that they would exhibit if you were not standing in front of them, all of those things are intimidation. And, you know, I've had people debate that with me. Somebody standing over their dog, right over their dog on point. And my, my comment is always, would, do you do that hunting when you're out actually hunting for real? Your dog goes on point, do you go stand over it? No, you don't do it. The dog needs to hold their point, right? So standing over a dog, just like if you came and stood over me, uh, is, is a very intimidating thing. And that, you can't do it. You can't get the highest decibel level possible in their ear, yelling, screaming, or blowing your whistle. That's just intimidation. Dogs need to be trained to a level when you go compete where that is not necessary. Okay, so intimidation is, it, you cannot, I know there are venues where you can do this. You cannot, if your dog is out there, you know, on a blind, you can't go, no, <coughs> and yell at him, and call him in 10 feet and cast him back. Man, you are training and you are intimidating. And that is not allowed in the APLA, regardless of how you feel about that and regardless of how you train. So the dogs need to be under control. They need to be cooperative. They need to listen. They need to make reasonable progress to whatever it is you're doing, all without excessive force, correction, yelling, and stuff like that. It's just not, not that hard. But above all, judges, so everybody if you made it almost an hour here. If you made it, we're not here to pass everybody and make everybody happy. We are here to pass the dogs that have proven, have met all the standards, and ha have met all the standards. That we and we are not here to pass dogs who do not meet the standards. It's that simple. 
It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your opinion. It doesn't. I always had somebody telling me how we should make our tests harder. It's like, ah, oh, dude, if you have very many of these, you would not say that because you put that upland into it consistently and they got to go out you know, on the triple crown. They got to go out three days in a row in the upland field and basically be perfect all the time. Um, so, uh, <laughs> it, it's, uh, our tests are very, very difficult. And anybody that's gotten to the triple crown level, they're like, no, we're good. <laughs> We've got walk-ups, we have triples, we have double blinds, we have honors, you know, we have all the elements of the other upper level deals. And then we got that upland field. So I firmly believe those TC finishers are, are something very special. So, and none of them ever chase. Most beautiful thing you ever saw. Just judges too. No chasing. You can chase in certified. You can chase in advanced. You may not chase a bird and there is no excuse. There is no bird that falls under some definition that's chaseable. Even on a retrieve, they can't go after it until you send them. So any bird flying, steady to, steady to wing. That's part of the deal. Steady to wing, steady to flush, and steady to shot. That means no chasing. So make sure that you tell that to your handlers when you're going to judge before you got in the upland field. Tell them what your definition of cooperation is. Tell them what your definition of a controlled break is. Tell them what your definition of intimidation is. Tell them about the chasing a bird. Let everybody know ahead of time. And then if you have to let somebody, if somebody fails, um, they already know why before it even happens. And it certainly prevents a lot of problems. So that's just my take on the judging thing. It's a lot of stuff. Judging is hard. You've got to pay attention the entire time. And most of all, you have to um, understand what the purpose of the organization is and what the purpose of the tests are and what the purpose of you is. And it's only to evaluate these dogs on behalf of the organization, not to make changes you think should be made in the organization or change the standards or introduce whatever concept you think is important. It's to represent the standards of the organization to your, the best of your ability. So that's today's. Sorry about the length, but it's a very important topic, and I just wanted to get it out in some form or another. You know, I hope at least a couple people listen to this, and I hope it's helpful. So I'll be back next week, back to regular dog, dog world stuff. And I hope everybody stays healthy and happy.